Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from around the state to your town square. With our hosts, Mickey Shields, the Director of Membership Services, and Katie Wheeler, the League's Business Relations Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Welcome back to another episode of The Square. Katie, welcome. It, um, we are recording on a very warm day, <laughs> uh-huh. abnormally warm after I feel like all of spring was abnormally cold. And I so I don't even know what to do with myself. It went from like wearing, literally wearing like winter coats to uh, our son's early season baseball games to now uh, shorts and t-shirt like overnight. Yep. It is absolutely crazy, but I love warm weather, so I'm not complaining. (laughs) Not at all. I will take this every time. If there's a choice between uh, one of of our son's games, it was windchill 32 at 9 a.m. No, thank you. None of the kids wanted to be out there wearing winter hats and hoodies and all that. Trying to play baseball doesn't really go well together. So no, we'll take this every time. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, what do you think the weather is going to be like at the golf outing? Oh yeah. We have a little golf outing coming up, don't we? Yeah. Well, I just hope that it's better than last year with the uh, storm that blew through, uh, which actually made things pretty interesting and fun. Uh, I had to take a little pause though, while we let some uh, lightning go through, but hopefully it's a nice warm day, not too hot. Um, we've had, we've had it all at our golf outing. We sure have. And that is on June 17th. And that is a fundraiser for the Tim Shields Endowment Fund. And many of our listeners know a little bit about what that is, but I thought before we get started into our interview today, it would be good to kind of go over what the Tim Shields Endowment Fund actually is. And I know that you are more than an expert (laughs) on that topic. So why don't you share what that is? I'd be happy to explain Um, that. So Tim Shields was my father. And so some of our listeners may, may not uh, have heard of him or worked with him, but he was the director of the Institute of Public Affairs at the University of Iowa for 24 years before he passed uh, in 2004. And uh, in that job, he worked with a lot of cities, city council members, mayors, city managers, uh, city clerks, and all kinds of city officials um, on a lot of things, primarily through strategic planning and goal setting and then some other things, too, where they did some training on specific projects or maybe some conflict mediation, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But primarily, it was a, a lot of strategic planning, goal setting. He traveled the state. Um, he was out on the road quite a bit, were meeting with cities, and just kind of uh, developed a lot of relationships with folks across Iowa. And so when he did pass, it was uh, he's kind of a young man at the time. And I think there was a lot of interest in furthering his mission because he really believed strongly in the value of local government and the power that uh, cities had in, in trying to provide quality services to their citizens. And I think a lot of the, uh, the league's members picked up on that. And when he did pass, they wanted to continue that. And so they developed this endowment, which uh, ever since has uh, done some fundraising um, through different ways, and um, eventually over time, collected enough revenue to be able to send money back out for mm-hmm. leadership development for uh, city officials. So um, through the league, the league helps host that, and we've been able to use some of those funds to bring in um, great speakers that really focus on leadership development and management. 
And so uh, there's been different ways of doing that, but really the, one of the main ways is through the leadership seminar at the league's annual conference. Uh, so it's been a really, um, I think, good thing in, in, in uh, for my, myself and my family. It's a, been a really good way to memorialize our father, my father, and mm-hmm. um, uh, we continue to work on that. And so one of the things here in recent years, what uh, the league has done is host the golf outing. And that's been a really big fundraiser for the endowment. And again, the money goes back into leadership development for our members. So it's, it really serves them. And the, the golf outing itself is always a lot of fun. We get people from all across Iowa and, and, and companies that work with cities to support it. And so it's a, it's been a, a very rewarding process for me personally. And I know a lot of us here that work at the league. Absolutely. So how can you not want to support that? Listen to all that. That was great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, if Registration is open for that right now. So you can either put a team together or if you don't have a team, we can put you on a team. But either way, it's a, you know, a great thing to support, a great cause. And mm-hmm. uh, it is a lot of fun. And it is, it is absolutely, a, you know, goes to a good cause. So it does. And there's a lot of great prizes. Katie lines up some amazing prizes each year. We get some really great donations from uh, companies that work with cities to help make this thing happen. I'll tell folks out there, too, to form your own teams. City officials are certainly welcome, but those that work with cities as well. Last year, I tried to bring in a couple of ringers <laughs> from my neighborhood, and we came close to winning the title, but I don't think we got over the hump or uh, there was some controversy, but uh, <laughs> I, I do want to get people to understand that this is it's, it's for a good cause, certainly, but it's a lot of fun, a little competition. There's a lot of great whole prizes where you can win some full, really cool stuff. I think last year we handed out a Yeti cooler, a staycation package, some gift certificates, some mm-hmm. cash. Uh, so there's a, a lot of good things you can win your and take back home to your communities as well. Cool. And then you mentioned a little bit about the leadership seminar at our conference and Mm -hmm. our conference planning is in full swing. Uh, Conference this year is September 28th through the 30th in Waterloo. And we haven't been to Waterloo. It's been 21 years, I believe. (laughs) It has. And And so (laughs) we're excited to go back. To bring this full How circle. How old were you I was, 21 uh, years ago? 21 year? years, I was 21 years old, so you can do the math on oh, that, folks. Okay. I was a student at the University of Northern Iowa, and so I went across the river because, this again, bringing it full circle, my dad was exhibiting uh, at the league's conference, inviting me over, and and I was <laughs> like, what is this? What are these people doing? Like, Was that your <laughs> what first is going conference? On? That was. I was my first oh, time crazy. stepping okay. into a Iowa League of Cities annual conference. So I, I went over there and saw him and saw his staff, Judy and Sandy, uh, my old friends there, and that worked with my dad and um, got to meet a lot of people from around Iowa. It was pretty cool. And so, yes, that was the last time the league was in Waterloo. And Okay. I um, was a junior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, things have changed a bit since then. Yes, <laughs> for both of us, they sure have, <laughs> and a lot of our members. Uh, but we're excited to be back. Uh, they've done a ton of work to their convention center in the downtown part of Waterloo, where that is at. We're very excited to be there. We're going to have a lot of great workshops, as usual, mobile workshops to show off the community, and 
uh, right down the street is an amphitheater where we're going to host our presence reception. Single Spree Brewery is right there as well. A lot of great places to see and visit in town. So it's been a while, but um, kudos to Waterloo. They've really, Mm -hmm. I think, done some work in their downtown area there to to make it just going to, I think our conference is going to be a lot of fun for our attendees. And there really are a ton of great workshops this year. We, yeah, I'm I'm really impressed by what we have to offer this year. So it'll be a good one. Absolutely. So for everybody out there, I'm not sure when this pod's going to drop. They, you don't want to date yourself when you're recording a podcast. <laughs> but uh, June 1st is when registration opens for our delegates. So that's the big day. And then June 8th is when you can book your hotel room through the housing bureau that we have set up. So those is early June as usual. Uh, So get on the ball, reserve your spot and reserve your hotel room and we'll see you in Waterloo. Perfect. All right. So today we um, are going to talk cybersecurity and there's not many weeks that go by in our world anymore that we don't hear something about cyber attacks and cybersecurity. And we're really excited to welcome our next guest to the square. His name is Cole Chubears and he is the vice president of security services at ThinkGuard, which ThinkGuard is a VC3 company, and VC3 is who administers our endorsed program, IT in a Box. Cole, welcome to The Square. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're excited to have you. This is a top, cybersecurity is a hot topic, and Mickey and I are definitely not experts in it, so we're excited to have you. Well, I think it's hard for anyone to feel like they're an expert in cybersecurity due to... (laughs) how rapidly threats are evolving. No kidding. Yes. So before we begin, we always like to get to know um, our guests and who we're talking to. So tell us a little about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you end up in cybersecurity? Sure. So I'll I'll make the past 20 some odd years as concise as possible. I I grew up mostly in North Carolina, uh, between Cherokee, North Carolina, and that Cary, Raleigh, Durham area of North Carolina. Uh, moved to Alabama in high school to be closer to my family here. Uh, my parents moved. And in high school, I enrolled in the CCNA networking program through Cisco. They had a trial program uh, through McAdory High School. And I started my networking career essentially when I was you know, 14 years old. So I started doing networking and I could actually configure routers, switches, design networks before I could ever operate a PC uh, as far as, you know, loading an operating system and doing things like that mm-hmm. and continue to do IT as I worked full time through college. Uh, original plan was to go into medicine, uh, started out in pre-med and continued to work full time and eventually realized that, you know, medicine was not my career path and just kept working full-time in IT hmm. all the way. And I uh, started out with a health system here in Alabama, working in what was information security at the time. This was the early 2000s. A lot of policies and procedures and the tool sets really weren't effective at that point in time. And I really didn't enjoy the work. So I moved over to enterprise infrastructure, uh, spent the next 10, 15 years there. And just like everyone else, we were hit with a cybersecurity incident uh, back several years ago when I was working at a large healthcare holding organization. And because of my previous experience in information security, I was able to take over the remediation of that threat 
and guide the organization through that process, even though there was already someone on the staff dedicated to cybersecurity. Hmm. Because I'd kept up with the tools and the skill sets and uh, the threat landscape. And as a result of that, I was put in charge of cybersecurity for that organization, uh, formed that for several years, and then eventually came over to ThankGuard to start up their cybersecurity division. And that's what I'm currently doing now. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Do you ever think about what would happen if you'd stuck with the medical field? <laughs> I think I would have been miserable. I think I would have <laughs> enjoyed the, the diagnostic aspect. There was yeah. actually a, a precipice moment when I decided not to be in medicine. So, you know, I was still working in IT and I got locked in a medical records room with a physician <laughs> and I looked at him and he was, he was miserable. His skin was washed out. You could tell he hadn't been outside in a long time. He had no oh. sleep. And just kind of talking to him and how he worked and what his life was like. And it was at that moment I realized I do not want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And it's probably fortuitous that happened, but fortuitous for us as well. <laughs> to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Made this choice. So what, we wanted to run a little exercise by you and maybe play devil's advocate and maybe uh, kind of represent some of the uh feedback you get from at times, especially from our smaller cities. So let's say that uh, Katie and I work for a city in Iowa and maybe that population is around 1500. And the question I think some of our members uh, would ask is why would I ever need to worry about cybersecurity? You know, we've downloaded all the antivirus on our computers, done all those kinds of things. We're also pretty small. Why would we even get hacked? You know, maybe if our city was larger and had more resources and funding and whatnot, we worry about it. But for us, we're so small; uh, it's a non-issue for us. What would so? What would you tell a city like that? I would answer their question with a question: How valuable is democracy to you? Because that is what's in stake when you're looking at local and state government. I, I've done several presentations in in regards to cybersecurity and. I always knew the importance, but didn't realize the importance of local and state government cybersecurity efforts until I heard a presentation. Actually, it was a gentleman speaking before me at an event. His name is Matt Holding, and he was leading up the 2020 election security program. And again, I was like, I don't feel like I need to be speaking after this guy. Uh, <laughs> But he really, you know, I knew these things uh, in regards to cybersecurity and how municipalities were targeted, but I never thought about it in the context in which he provided in that when there is a compromise in a municipal organization, Mm -hmm. that data is then leaked. Right. Now, if, if I'm someone that is threatening democracy, and there's a lot of people out there, a lot of countries doing that. And I'm able to create doubt because I'm leaking voter registration records. Mm-hmm. How impactful is that to the nation? How impactful is that to your community? And so that's my answer as to why the smaller municipalities should be uh, secure in their environment just as well as the larger cities and counties. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Cole, that's great. I'm, we're still playing devil's advocate. I'm not being mean. But my city doesn't even have the funds to mess with stuff like that. We have, we want, you know, 
our citizens can see our roads and our playgrounds and our water wastewater facility that totally needs updated. Um, and all of those things our citizens enjoy and they can see. So why would we ever spend our money on cybersecurity? Again, you know, how important are those things too? How important is a dispatch for a fire truck? How important are utilities? All of these things are controlled by uh, different technology aspects. And if those are compromised, they don't function. And so again, that's the answer to that. That's why you should invest in cybersecurity is whatever you have functioning, you want to continue to function. Uh, I've worked several incident response cases where the 911 system for a county was actually the target and the, the breach head for where an infection came through and had we not intervened, the 911 services would have been disabled. So it doesn't matter how many ambulances or fire trucks you have if no one can receive the calls mm -hmm. to go through and respond to them. Gosh, yeah, that really drives it home. And uh, you're you're off the hot seat now. Our city is starting to understand why we need to do this. <laughs> now, we do another, care about democracy. We do care about democracy. <laughs> we do want to have some security in our operations, no doubt about it. Um, one thing here recently, this the league is uh, certainly no different than anybody else in terms of getting hit by some of these things. But what I'm referring to is emails. Uh, what are some of the things that like? How do you some tips? I suppose on how do you know if an email is, is legit? Uh, what are some of the things that uh, municipalities should be on the lookout for or perhaps some best practices when it comes to just kind of making sure that they're uh, being safe with email? Yeah, so email, depending on the metrics you look at, is the number one or one of the top threat vectors, meaning that's something that threat actors are going to target. Uh, and they target it in a number of ways, and it's with malicious links. And then it's also business email compromise. Uh, business email compromise is actually the greatest uh, producer of funds for these threat groups and gets the mm -hmm. least amount of attention. Everyone focuses on ransomware. And with business email compromise, I've seen cases uh, with municipalities where it's easy from one email for them to lose thirty to $50,000 because someone will impersonate a vendor they do business with, mm -hmm. for example, a construction company, and send a fraudulent invoice and the city will pay it. So things to look at is look at the wording of the email. If you're about to send a payment based upon an email that's a significant amount, I would call that party and verify with them. And be very suspicious of unexpected emails coming across into the organization. And there are a lot of different technologies that can be implemented, but the number one uh, tool for prevention is the end user education and awareness. So having a uh, awareness program and having those regular phishing tests and when people do not, uh, when they fall prey to, the test phishing attempt make it meaningful, meaning they're they're publicly shamed, they're written up, something like that. And I know that seems a bit harsh, uh, but that's how serious the matter is. Yeah, we've seen some of that with like the impersonating a a vendor, uh, an invoice of mm -hmm. some sort, requesting payment, such and such things. You know, here's your deadline. Don't be late. We also have seen some of our cities where they. Uh, 
it's almost, it's almost like an internal process. So will say like, okay, city manager sends an email to the finance officer saying we need to, we need to spend or we need to pay such and such person X amount of dollars. So they actually, it's almost like an internal process they're trying to mimic with a fake email. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's really scary from that regard. Like, and it, it looks pretty good. You know, it looks, if you're, if you're just kind of trying to flip through a bunch of emails and get stuff done, you're not paying as close attention as maybe you should. I could see where people would make that mistake. Yeah, that's what threat actors are preying upon. They're preying upon human psychology is that mm -hmm. we have so many tasks to perform per day. We're trying to go through a sequence and perform them. And I actually have a presentation on this. And in my presentation, there's a slide where I show a paragraph with a bunch of jumbled words. Our brain naturally looks for meaningful patterns, even if meaningful patterns don't exist. And therefore, we will take meaning out of the jumbled letters as long as there's enough letters for us to make the context and read it. So if right. there's a typo, if there's something that would normally be glaring, uh, we won't detect it because we're looking for a meaningful pattern. And we're also going through and trying to accomplish all the tasks that we have to accomplish in a day. Yeah, yeah, that stuff. The human psychology part of it is just, it's incredible and, and scary all at the same time. Cole, you mentioned Definitely. something about a city doing like having phishing tests. How do you do that? Like, how does a city go about even doing that? Uh, so there are, are a number of products out there available that allow at a very low cost for an organization to create campaigns where it mimics what a threat actor is going to do as far as sending over a email and an email that will mimic what a threat actor is attempting to do. And so the organization goes in, they set up that campaign, it sends the email out, and then you get a report back of who opened the email and then who clicked on the links. And then from that, you can develop training. Say, if Cole keeps clicking all the links, you sit down and have a conversation with Cole and say, look, you've got to stop clicking all these links. Okay. Wow. wow. Well, I, I'm certain you've seen and heard some uh, really crazy, scary cyber attack stuff um, in cities or other uh, folks you've worked with. And it's not to uh, maybe scare our listeners, but perhaps you could share a story or two from some something that was really pretty crazy and uh, as a learning experience, of course, for our listeners. Yeah. So there's been a number that I've been directly or indirectly involved on uh, one made national headlines on cnn it was listed as the source of voter registration data being uh listed by russia as you know oh having compromised the system so while this did not directly impact the result of the voting efforts in that county mm -hmm. it was able to create doubt because the threat actors were able to say we have this voter registration data and in in the public's mind it's very easy for them to make that jump from they have the voter registration data if they can compromise that system they can compromise the voting system right. uh, and so that goes back to the initial question of why should smaller municipalities worry about cybersecurity? And that's an example why of, well, if you care about democracy, then that's a compelling reason why. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And yeah, we, we have scary. lots of uh, examples of similar type situations. Uh, state and local government are highly targeted by threat actors. And when we think of ransomware, we think in the context of there's someone out there trying to get money for our data. But in the context of state and local government, the data is being obtained, yes, they, they do want some of the funds, but they're more concerned about creating that doubt, getting that information to be able to create public doubt about the progress, pro, process of democracy. Jeez, it's just wild. Well, and wild. I can see that. It's almost like they just want government to look untrustworthy, right? I mean, and so then... Yes, like you said, it puts in that doubt, which is, you know, the opposite of what we're wanting to uh, promote. Right. So if you have a country where it's 51%, 49%, and you're mm -hmm. able to create doubt that that wasn't a valid election, you could have an internal civil war based upon that. Because mm -hmm. all because of misinformation in regards to cybersecurity, because you're able to create that doubt and show that evidence. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm getting well, horrible. you sold me. Cybersecurity <laughs> yeah, is yeah. definitely important for our cities. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I just, I, part of me also, I, I wonder, Cole, um, what is unique to uh, state and local in, in from the eyes of a, what you call it? Well, I think you said that you've referred to them as a threat actor. Is it because it, as, as governmental entities that they possess a lot of, uh, personal data or citizen data, or is it also maybe because of, um, I don't say lax, but just because they are government entities, they may not be able to throw as many resources at a cybersecurity program. Right. So it's multifactorial. Uh, I'll give an example. Some of the organizations with the best security are very high level financial institutions. For example, mm -hmm. a Citibank, a Chase, right. American Express, they are going to have phenomenal budgets to go towards cybersecurity. And then, you know, threat actors are individuals that are comprise a threat group. And these threat groups are from different sources. So they could be nation state funded, for example, North Korea, mm -hmm. Russia, China. These groups come out of those countries and they're able to perform cyber warfare. And they target the municipal institutions because they know they have lack security. Mm -hmm. They know that they have low budget, which leads to lack security. And there's access to voter registration data. And there's also access to utilities. Right. And right. there was a case recently uh, in Florida where someone just happened to notice that the amount of sodium chloride in the water was constantly being increased. Right. It's a test. And so that's an example of you could poison a water supply for a city if you wanted to by attacking a municipal entity. So right. it, it's, it, it is somewhat financial that they're low hanging fruit. It is the political impact and then it is the impact for harm as well. And so that's why the local and state governments are targeted and you know, the federal government's targeted as well. Um, yeah, as we've seen through recent supply chain breaches. Mm -hmm. Man, well, I, I knew it was important before this uh, conversation, <laughs> but now I'm 
definitely raising my awareness level and, and the need to make our membership understand the, the important importance for them to take this seriously and, and make sure that they're putting the, re- the right amount of resources into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the good news is the, the news media has, for once, done a really good job of bringing awareness to how important this is. Starting in 2020, when there was an escalation of cyber events, the news media started to pick it up, cyber events in the news cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's really helped certain vulnerabilities become less impactful because of the awareness. Log4j is a perfect example. It was this widespread vulnerability that pretty much every organization had in some magnitude. However, it was seen that there really weren't a lot of exploits against it. There were some, but not as much as you would think because of the awareness that people were going out and patching and mitigating the risk associated with it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we appreciate all the uh, information you provided, the guidance. It's certainly valuable to our listeners here on the podcast and uh, the wider membership here at the Iowa League of Cities. Uh, we do want to mention that IT in Box has a great workshop lined up. And Katie, would you want to share more about that? Yeah, um, they are presenting on, I think the title of the workshop is, Is Your Municipality Cyber Uninsurable? Uh, follow a cyber checklist back to insurability. And that's not a topic that we, you know, dove into today, but it's also a hot topic. And so it's going to be a great workshop. You definitely don't want to miss that one. And um, why we're talking about conference workshop topics, I wanted to just give you a little insider tip. A suggestion that um, we recommend is that if you're having more than one person from your city coming to conference, split up and go to different workshops so you can all learn different things and different ideas and you can come back as a team and share what you learned. And so you can, you know, implement you know, lots of different ideas when you go back home. So uh, IT in a Box will also have a booth in our exhibit hall so you can stop by and see them. That's right. Well, thank you, Cole, for hopping on the square. We really appreciate the time and your wisdom. Uh, it was really uh, interesting conversation, to say the least. Yeah, glad to be a part of this. Well, All right, Mr. Shields. That wraps up another episode of The Square. Um, it's summer now, apparently in Iowa. So all to all our listeners, <laughs> enjoy summer. Um, follow oh, us and a little, PS, well, it's what it's in, it's May and I'm May peeling, I'm this. peeling, Mickey. <laughs> I this got fried last weekend thing. and I am now, now peeling. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's a lot of fun, but, uh, as always stay up to date with us at, at our weekly e-newsletter league weekly, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Send in your questions to the square at iowaleague.org or just contact Katie. She's running the show here. No, Mr. Shields is. <laughs> That's right. All righty. We'll see you next time. Yeah, we can